Welcome to Triumph and Disaster, a show dedicated to manly creativity and culture. Brought to you by your host, Cameron McHarg. Hey guys, it's Cameron McHarg, and I have a really cool episode with German director Marcus Nispel this week. And uh, if you don't know who he is, he remade the Texas Chainsaw Massacre a while back and then went on to remake the uh, Conan the Barbarian movie and uh, most recently has a horror movie out called Exeter, which he wrote and directed. It's out on Netflix right now. And uh, he started huge music videos back in the big MTV days with every everything huge. Billy Joel, Elton John, Janet Jackson, George Michael, Bush, no doubt, you know, Katie Lang, Tony Bennett, whatever, everybody, everybody. Uh, and then he did like well over a thousand commercials. So... He knows his stuff, and we have a really cool conversation. The thing that's a little bit different, though, this time is I did it on the phone, so it sounds a little different. I did it with the um, an app that uh, it worked out pretty well, actually, but it just sounds a little different. Probably won't do that again. It's just the only way that we could do this anytime soon, and I'd, I, you know, I just wanted him on the show. So, hope you guys enjoy. Here's Marcus and the Spell on Triumph and Disaster. Triumph and Disaster is basically was inspired by um, sort of a tribute to guys like. Sam Peckinpah or Ernest Hemingway or, you know, actors like Lee Marvin, just kind of guys, guys, uh, creative artists, you know what I mean? And, and to be current Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, exactly. Exactly. One of the few left, actually. One but, of the um, few. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about him, actually. I want to talk about him. But there's good. So you're growing up, I, I was a huge, and still am, because I still think it holds up, man. A huge fan of uh, the Conan movie, with the John yeah. Milius Conan movie. Yes. And and John Milius by himself. We've actually I've actually had conversations with guys just all about him. Yes. But um, so you um and also, I'm a huge fucking fan of uh, movies from the 70s. Yeah. In in general, actors too. Yeah. Guys like Warren Oates and you know and just all those movies and and so you and so you you are perfect because you you're like you fall into you sort of qualify for both of these things in a lot of ways. I mean, you, you remade uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Conan. Well, look, I, I, I grew up in the 70s, so uh, for me those were all coming-of-age movies. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you know, like a, like a painless rite of passage in a sense. And um, I, I, I remember actually... We were in the garden, like um, hitting each other on the hands with uh, bamboo sticks, playing Conan the Barbarian. The movie wasn't even out yet; we just saw trailers and pictures of Arnold. And I remember reading in Time magazine, it said, "Melius's Conan, Star Wars by a sociopath." And I went like, "Man, one day I want somebody to say that about one of my movies." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, those were those were different times, and actually, one of the reasons why I took this uh, uh, um, interview here with you, a podcast with you, is because uh, I'm, I'm deeply worried about the American male and and and, yeah. and, and the sort of like apparent end of machoism, and with machoism, I mean. You know, I'm not saying go out there and act like a barbarian, but, you know, I think there should be an innate interest to see something like that expressed in movies, in particular if you don't get to practice barbarianism yeah. in real life. <laughs> exactly, though. That is what, this is what, you know, I made this whole thing is all about kind of a, a longing to bring that back. Or, or, well, people, it's not people, a celebration of it. You know, people ask me why I want to why do um, R-rated movies or horror movies, and in a way, I feel like you know we spend so much time sitting in square rooms looking at square boxes, uh, and wouldn't you want somehow have at least a borrowed experience of what it's like to still get some dirt under your fingernails? You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think stories of survival, if that is. Um, you know, fighting somebody with a chainsaw or, um, you know, a sword and sandal type of a thing or, um, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, standing up against Vikings, all that stuff sort of like, you know, is at least it was my rite of passage. I, I come from a very, very polite suburb in Germany, you know, so, and, and, and uh, I live a very politically correct life. But when I go to the movies, you know, I kind of like, 
like to see something that I'm not prone to engage in myself. So, right. So, so that's what draws me to it. Um, but I think, um, but I think that has changed. I think there's actually sort of like a very anti-macho or anti-manly generation coming up now, probably raised by the first generation of truly emancipated women, and um, and they're sort of like a real uh, identity thing going on. I try to understand why, you know, this whole beard thing is happening there. You know, <laughs> the hipsters all of a sudden. And did you notice, like, they think it's very funny to put a mustache on a coffee mug or on the front of a car. Mm-hmm. I think that is all sort of connected, you know. It's like, what is like our last vestige of manliness, and even if it just lives in jest. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's like an ironic kind of thing, ironically. But you've sported a huge beard yourself. Yeah, yeah I, I think I'm a far cry from a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the granddaddy of hipsterdom, probably. <laughs> but, you know, you said something um, about, you know, emancipated women, and there's, and you know, being raised by, by them, that sort of thing. Um, I, the thing with that is, though, is I don't, you know, I don't see why, I mean that I don't, that's a good thing. I just don't see why why natural tendencies towards uh, masculinity and this is a whole political argument. I don't want to make it that, but I don't need, I don't see why that needs to be sort of uh, put down. You know. No, well, um, you know, I, you know, I didn't come up with this. Um, um, I read uh, one of the actresses I worked on on Texas Chainsaw Massacre gave me a book as a gift, and uh, the book was called. Women Chainsaws and the Men Who Make Those Movies it was written by a uh, by a uh, staunch feminist who forced herself to watch these movies, you know, to probably write, um, you know, some indictment on them. And she came back and she said, you know what, I was wrong. It's actually the last place, the only place in film where an unknown actress can become a star, where she can exert herself, where she can turn herself, transform herself from a pixie into a strong woman, ah, right? Right. But she said another thing, and I thought it was really interesting. She went through the different genres, and of course they all differ slightly, but she says many of them, if not all of them, ever since Psycho, deals with the gender identity crisis of the new American male. And I got very interested, and I read on it, and mm-hmm. she says, like, you know, if you look at it, you know, um, it starts with a woman that becomes you know, almost male in her behavior. Uh, she starts as a pixie and she becomes this um, formidable, uh, formidable uh, um, almost masculine figure while right. the male, the villain, transforms himself into a female. And she says, uh, for example, in Psycho, you see uh, Anthony Perkins at the end as the mother, right? Right. right. The mother. Right. In um, Silence of the Lambs, it's Buffalo Bill. In um, uh, uh, Alien, where you know uh, Sigourney Weaver is facing this monster, um, you know she starts as sort of like the underling in all of that. I mean, it's an emancipation movie, and the uh, monster at the end is the bitch, right? From an almost phallic appearance, you know, into something very right. female. Now, I don't want to make too much out of it, but, um, you know, there's this switch sort of going on. And, um, and I think that's interesting to watch. Now, you know, on the other hand, when I'm not, you know, making splatter flicks, I do commercials. <laughs> and oh, you've done a share of those, right? And I think what's interesting there, if you watch them, and, is, and it makes sense as, as, as the woman is doing most of the shopping, she's always sort of like a smart one. The guy's always sort of a goof. He's sort of like a loser. Right, right, right. Especially that's the bad thing that's been going on for a long time now. Kind of like the Homer Simpson sort of archetype. Yeah, it really, it really gets on my balls. Yeah. <laughs> I really, really don't like that. And, um, and uh, maybe, maybe it never bugged me till I started to raise two sons. You know, and, and, and they're watching this as a role model. Now, I'm not saying Conan should be their role model, mm-hmm. but, you know, to automatically be the butt of the jokes... You know, it's, it's it's not sitting well with me either. Yeah, that's that's really fucking interesting, man. That you mention all this, and I uh, I was brought up in a. You, you mentioned you were brought up in like a really nice suburban household, and uh, my you know my folks. I was brought up in a really sort of. I mean, I guess you can call it progressive today. Like they wouldn't let me play with toy guns and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, same in Germany. That was very much frowned upon, you know. Yeah, well, of course. Nationwide, I'm, I'm assuming. I mean, as opposed to the culture that we have here, but I was brought up in that sort of uh, household. and But naturally, I was really, really drawn towards it yeah. as a kid. And it, it yeah. wasn't, you know, it wasn't um, how I was raised, you know. Yeah. There, there's something there. And I, you know, I, I think that just needs to be recognized. It doesn't, you know, there's something about trying to push that down that comes out the, the wrong way in the other end somehow, you know. Well, and uh, you mentioned you also, know, I want, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you know, when I, when I did Pathfinder, it was very much like, I mean, every movie I make is sort of the movie I make for the 16-year-old and me, right? When I watched the first movie, right, it kind right. of like impressed me. And um, actually, I did Pathfinder, of course, before Conan, and, and really came out of my desire to make a Conan movie. And um, uh, even though it's somewhat of a remake, it's not much of a remake, uh, if you really look at the original, what I was interested in was actually to make a movie that kind of like reflected, you know, a lot of how I feel. Anyway, uh, you know, uh, um, it's a real immigrant story, right? Somebody winds up in the new world and um, uh, the uh, politics of his forefathers start to catch up with him. It's kind of like the equivalent of, um, you know, a German winding up in America and uh, uh, working in an industry that is... Um, uh, very, very much uh, uh, a Jewish industry, if you may, right. in the film right. business, right? And uh, what if suddenly you uh, recognize traces of fascism, you know, traces of uh, neo-Nazis in this country? What are you going to do? What are you going to do after you ask yourself, you know, why did my parents not do anything? How much longer am I going to do commercials and, you know, polish the brass on the Titanic while it's all going down, right? When I see something like Trump or something that I don't, like, agree right. with, right? And so I I kind of, like, packed this all into the movie, and it's sort of there as a subtext. And you get it, you get it, you don't get it, you don't. Uh, um, but, you know, all great stories, all movies, is in the end, about, about uh, conflict. Anyway... Mike Medavoy, who was my production partner uh, at the time, uh, he asked me, who would you want to write this? And I said, you know, I really, really <laughs> would love to work with John Melius. I mean, anything that he does, I would, yeah. anything that he writes, I would direct. He says, well, you know, he directs a lot himself now, but, you know, why don't we... Why don't we? Why don't I put you guys together? And I got to meet the great John Melius. <laughs> it was a revelation. So, oh, you got to talk about that because oh, it's it not the it, first time that he's been talked about on this show. So. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I mean, like, how can you have a show like yours and not and not talk about Melius? And um, he he was getting involved with a movie of his own at that time, and he he, he wanted to do it. And he sat down with me and he says, "Look, uh, I only give you one good piece of advice." He says, uh, whatever you do, don't let your hero ponder. <laughs> no introspection, just action. Yes, don't let him ponder. Don't let him sit there and say, who am I? <laughs> That's it. That's hilarious. Did you have, I'm curious, I, I, I'm really dying to, I mean, I really, I, I always have this thought because, um, you know, with these movies both had, you know, obviously big impacts on, on us both when we were young. Was it like, was it intimidating for you? To, was it what? Did you have a, was it intimidating at all? Did you have like a certain sense of responsibility? Well, I, I don't, I'm, I'm a like, man without any sense for responsibility, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, intimidating, but, I wouldn't say that. Like, a like liberating, you know. I mean, yeah. like, look, I, I, I watched it in an American movie theater and... Um, I watched it uh, with family friends, you know, where we were staying over the summer. And I remember when I went uh, to visit them, my mom gave them sort of like a um, a rule book about when I should be in bed and that I should do a little bit of my reading. And they tore this apart the moment I arrived. So America for me was always like sort of like, this is where you go if you want to run wild, you know. And our idea of running wild is... This is polite. Just going to the movie theaters and watching R-rated <laughs> movies, right? And right. Um, and you would see that. And 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 you know what? You would take this with you, and you would act it out in the treehouse and in the sandbox. And like I said, you know, we beat the shit out of each other with uh, with bamboo sticks in the garden. Right. I mean, 
to me, that is what makes movie great. Movies great. What makes them go into our DNA is if we want to live that, if we want to be that guy and act it out in the garden. I still, absolutely, you know, uh, love looking at the action figures. You know, we know each other through Facebook. You know, and you see, I post that kind of yeah. stuff all the time. If you want to play that, if you want to be that guy for Halloween, uh, uh, if you want to watch all these remakes. You know, watch get get the comic book version and whatnot. You know, then you know, you, you know. I think as a filmmaker, you achieved your goal. I remember. <laughs> sorry, just please see that. I just brought back a memory that uh, get off course. But when I was a kid, my best friend and I were pretending like we were like Bruce Lee watching right. Bruce movies. We're jumping around on his parents' bed so we can like catch big air and kick at each other and stuff. Right. And he kicked two of my teeth out, two of my first teeth, their baby teeth. <laughs> but we just laughed and just yes. kept playing. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you would say yeah. that while you were talking. I was thinking, like, the movie that really articulates all that is Fight Club, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I was far beyond, you know, before that. But, yeah, just the way that, um, that you act that out. and Yeah. You yeah. were probably so fucking numb. You know, from your from your parents and your teachers and whatever, Probably. you needed you needed to see blood <laughs> to get back in touch, you know, with with your nature. <laughs> yeah, that's very Fight Club for an eight year old. Yeah, <laughs> but um, do you think like uh, it's really interesting? You're talking about all this like sort of mythological kind of stuff and union stuff and other psychological um, things that maybe we're not even aware of, but. Um, we, like for for an American, you know, the mythology in America it would be a Western, right? For a guy, it would be a Western, mm-hmm. which is very much like the American kind of samurai, or you know, yeah. sort of the independent, you know, loner, free, you know, self reliant kind of thing. And that's that's something that lives very very strongly, probably in the back of you know our collective psyche here. And you, and this is just a, a curiosity, just a thought that I had while you're talking. With um, you know your Viking movies and Conan and this sort of thing, I wonder if that's like is is that was that part of um, being from Germany sort of a, a, myth, a mythology that sort of lingers in the well, back. Well, maybe you look. I mean, um, you know, Viking movies have been sort of like uh, stepchildren in Germany as well as in America. I don't think a really good one has been made yet, and I include mine. Besides, maybe. Valhalla Rising. You know, if you can buy into it wholeheartedly, as far as the story goes. Uh, and I really like and, that and protagonist goes, but yeah, it had the it had the feel a Viking movie should have, right? Um, uh, I went a more graphic novel kind of a route, but I don't liken them to the American Western, which I really, to tell you the truth, don't like all that much. There may be three westerns that I like, and all the rest to me reminds me more of the German Heimat film, the uh, mountain climber epic. Oh, right. Usually pretty nationalistic, right, you know, right. pretty saccharine, overly romanticized. I mean, just listen to the score of High Noon. It makes me want to puke, right? So American <laughs> Westerns and High Noon for me is no holy cow. I hate that shit. Now, there are few <laughs> exceptions. Given is one of my favorite movies, though. But yeah, but, you know, also, it's, like, it's, it's almost like the sanit- sanitization of the rough guy that I want to see, you know, it's it's sanitized. It's like um, it's almost um, a revisiting in many ways. Uh, the westerns I like is um, uh, I actually think of one of the few really good westerns that I enjoyed is Heaven's Gate, the movie that everybody's like poo pooing. Heaven's um, Gate, yeah, great. Yeah, I, I like McCabe and Miller. Family. You know, uh, my my favorite is Dirty Little Billy. And then the uh, um, mountain men kind of uh, movies that I really like, um, uh, Jeremiah Johnson right. and um, uh, uh, Man in the Wilderness, which sort of really should get revenant. credited by now as um, uh, uh, the original to The Revenant, you know? I mean, right. it, it follows it almost beat by beat. So I think the mountain man stories what I'm much more so obviously when I met with Melius that's all we talked about and man is this guy fluent you know on 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 history right I mean we, we both have a huge passion for um uh Custer's last stand little big horn 
and mm-hmm. we were actually talking about doing a script on that. He was super excited about it. He knows every detail about how that battle looked like, and we wanted to make it like a Black Hawk Down, two hours, right. real time. You know, that's roughly how long it took. You Holy know, shit, that would be so fucking amazing, man. Yeah. Gotta, the, it, like, is that, is the that way, still alive in the background at all? Or? Well, Melee's is not well, you know. Yeah, but know. Uh, But, uh, um, you see, uh, uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't know um, modern warfare, but watching um, Black Hawk Down, for, for a moment, I think, for two hours, I feel I was there and I got a sense of it. I haven't been to Vietnam, but for two hours watching Apocalypse Now, I feel I was there, you know. I don't believe in right. the devil, but for two hours watching The Exorcist, I feel I believe right. in the devil, you know. So, so there is only a handful of movies that takes you there, and they're usually very, very primal experiences. And I think that's why I gravitate towards the material I'm doing. Um, they asked uh, Friedkin why he thought that The Exorcist was so successful. And if you think about it, you know, it was not really catering to common horror movie fans' expectations. And um, he said it is really um, an interesting time that we're living in because with one foot, we're in white science, but with the other foot, we're still deeply in black black magic. And, And I thought that was really interesting, right? Because right now... With one foot, we're in Clint Eastwood movies, and with the other foot, we are in what he would call the pacification of America. Right. right. And I think Hollywood has a real trauma with that. Um, for example, here's Brookheimer, who does all these wonderful movies that we so much enjoyed. Um, maybe the only good stuff, you know, that came out of the 80s. Uh, really good stuff was the action movie of the 80s, right, and the machoism of it all. Um, you know, he and Disney go out and they do Pirates of the Caribbean and everybody goes like, oh my God, Johnny Depp with eyeliner. We're all doomed, you know. Look, he's doing all this effeminate stuff. Uh, what are we going to do? And uh, then it does really, really well and see what happened to Brookhammer movies ever since. Suddenly, Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal is playing, playing The Thief of Persia. Um, um, uh, you have a whole new... You know, a group of actors. What's the guy from Drive? Um, um, Ryan Gosling. He's from the Disney Channel, for crying out loud. Right? I know. So, I know. so a funny thing happens. I have, all these, I have all these guys on Facebook, so I look, I look like, you know, how, how could I categorize, you know, all these people that friend me? And uh, they fall essentially into three, four groups, right? Well, they're the personal friends that I grew up with and whatnot. Sure. Then they're like the... Um, uh, uh, fans of my movies, and then uh, um, you know people that I know from commercials or music videos, and then all of a sudden these guys started to friend me, and they're all like bodybuilding, and they're well lubed, and they're talking to each other like we're going for cut now, and I'm doing this protein mix. <laughs> it's really funny to what? watch, and I, yeah, and I go like you know, and they're, they're posing, and I go like. Why am I on their friend list? Why? Who's this group? A huge group. And I found out because of movies I've done, I'm sort of like the last refuge for machoism in a way, at least on no social shit. media. Yeah, it's very interesting. And and, uh, uh, and they're actively talking, and sometimes I listen in on the strings, right, and read along, and they go like. What's with this Jake Gyllenhaal guy? What's with Ryan Gosling, you know, and drives that used to go to Schwarzenegger or to Stallone? And they're right. Yeah. There's a new, there's a new image about, you know, the, uh, the new, uh, star for testosterone fueled movies. And he's not that muscle guy anymore because I think the muscle guy is just not relatable for somebody who spends all his day uh, all day long uh, in front of um, in front of the computer. I think right. I think it's a real sort of geek machoism, you know, that right. that's really personified in this whole hipsterdom, but that you really also see reflecting in movies and how our new heroes look like. You know, probably Neo in um, the Matrix was sort of like the first guy. You know, it wasn't Harrison Ford. You know? Right, right. I see. I know exactly what you're saying. You, I mean, Keanu Reeves, the guy was from Bill and Ted, Most Excellent Adventures. How did he wind up in that movie, right, by design? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, 
and I don't want. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say anything bad about anybody. It's not. It's not my. Oh no, I'm not saying. There's no indictment. I'm just. Right. I'm just observing. Right. Know? No. Exactly. When like well, when Drive came out, um, I, that was my criticism. I was like, is he like? Is he trying to be the new Steve McQueen or something? It just. I don't. It just doesn't work for me. I don't buy it. And a lot of people were just got really upset with me about it. I think Ryan Gosling's a great actor, but I didn't think that he. I didn't buy him as a tough guy. Well, I Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen did you know? not come of age on the Disney Channel. That much is certain, right? <laughs> and even and even if guys like Steve McQueen exist somewhere, and I bet they do, I don't know that they would be wanted right now in an environment where everybody wants everybody to be everything for everyone. You know. I wanted to. That's interesting that you say that. I wanted to ask you what you thought about that. Cause that specific kind of thing, because you just don't see that. You don't see Steve McQueen's that often. And another thing that I, I'm curious what you think of related to that is sometimes you do, or sometimes you see an, an attempt at it, but they're almost never American. Mm. And uh, I don't know what that is, because that that used to be kind of the opposite. And I don't know if when you talk about this sort of pussification process, mm-hmm. do, you, do you, I mean, do you see that across the whole kind of Western world or you just sort of see well, it just here? Um, well, you know, I think uh, our common consciousness is, our combined consciousness is sort of shifting, right, all the time. I read something about um, Robert Redford once, and Robert Redford was like a strong departure for me from, let's say, Paul Newman, who already was around before him, and, and uh, um, you know, I don't know, actors like Steve McQueen or mm-hmm. Robert Stack, I don't know what made me think of him right now, but there, was, there <laughs> were these sort, yeah. of like, these sort of like manly figures before Robert Redford came along. Robert Redford somehow always struck me as slightly different from them, and I really like him. And it said, um, I, I read an article, Almost like a eulogy, terrible, but, uh, you know, they were looking back at his career, and um, the writer said, uh, talking very positively about him, said Robert Redford was, uh, throughout his movies, an unusual blend of good looks and uncertainty. Hmm. And I thought it was really interesting, even though he's not the ponderous kind, right. as Emilius would say. You know, he was not direction? the guy. He was not the guy who would jump into action. You know, uh, uh, heads on. He would like. Right. Mm, I'm not so sure. You know, right. I'm not so sure if he should do this. And uh, and as such, probably was more of a personification of the. Um, you know, 60s uh, generation, right. 70s generation, sort of the counterculture generation that really embraced them. And Jeremiah Johnson, they could relate to that. It was almost like a commune kind of mindset that makes them want to go away from the city and not engage right. in the war, you know. So so I think in a very similar way, we have um, something like that that probably, the, probably satisfies one half of this country, and I can tell you exactly which half it is, you know, if you just watch mm-hmm. politics right now, right? Right, right. And you see, you know, and, and uh, God knows I'm a bleeding heart liberal, but um, when I look at movies, the one thing I want to do is uh, make a movie with a quote-unquote uh, red state hero because they don't exist anymore. They're all Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's, you know, they come from Boston or California or mostly from Canada or Australia because Hollywood doesn't groom their own actors anymore. They want to buy them ready-made and baked, right? And I want to see one of those guys come from, you know, I was just talking to my wife the other day. I went like, you know, I'm, 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 I watched an old Johnny Carson show rerun and I go like, where's fucking Burt Reynolds right now? <laughs> you know? He's right. from Florida, but like, 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 you know, he... he he was a unusual blend, you know, of wit, good looks, smart, southern hero, you know. Right. Today, you know, uh, they're only the cartoon characters with the mullet, you know, that are, <laughs> right. that are thought of when you think of that kind of a character. But there are, there are other people in those states and, and, um, and in the past, in the 70s, they were in my favorite movies. Yeah, there was a big movement of, of that sort of thing in the 70s. Yeah, and there's a big movement uh, politically happening right now, but um, I don't see it 
expressed. I don't see it. I don't see yeah. how it impresses movies. You know. You know. You, you said something interesting about that just a minute ago that I totally agree with. As far as like, um, I, I'm not. A, I'm pretty far from a right wing guy. I'm not that at all. But here I am attracted to movies like uh, Red Dawn as a kid. Or, Conan, or John Milius movies, or you know, or these other things that you're mentioning, and uh, I don't necessarily think it's it, it, you know politically 100% related. I think it's more related to just the idea of um, and philosophy of sort of independence and self-reliance, and, and uh, you know, and uh, and not putting up with any shit, you know, this you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't. I don't think it's fair to. Uh, to say that you tell a story that expresses something like that or that you're um, attracted to that and then be labeled as some sort of a, you know, fascist or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think that it's necessary. I think that they're kind of exclusive. But- no, but I think, like, you know, in this endless desire to make everything, everything for everyone, you know, there, there are certain movies and you go like, well, um, you know, uh, like Battle Royale. Uh, yeah. could not be done for the longest way. I mean, for crying out loud, it got released uh, uh, at the first time, possibly, I think, uh, the week Columbine happened, and, and they just stopped it, or, you know, or was it supposed to be released the week after? And yet it deals with the unspeakable, you know, teen violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think a movie that has been really, really disregarded in this whole dialogue is the movie If. And, um, you know, this is just important stuff to deal with. And how does Hollywood deal with it? They do the Hunger Games. See, now they can stomach it. Now that it's sort of like Palazzo Kitschy, you know, uh, a little bit goofy, a mm-hmm. little bit fun, you know, uh, colorful. Uh, you know, now it's not real, you know. You know, it's actually interesting, come to think of it, um, the Warriors, you know, was conceived, it was, it was conceived as a... Um, Science fiction of sorts, and um, and uh, 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 I, I didn't read it this way. I mean, like I, I grew up in a German suburb, and I thought that's how New York looked like baseball furies <laughs> all over the place. Right. I had no idea. I thought it was a reality, and it's probably more real than most gang style movies right now. Um, uh, uh, I, I think that's a really interesting movie as it deals, you know, with with gangs. I don't. I don't I don't see that much anymore, you know, and, and yeah. they exist, you know, but not in Hollywood. Yeah, this, this idea of trying to make like be everything for everybody and make everybody happy in this, uh, it's sort of, I, I think it's related to this culture of likes. I think it's directly related to that, where everybody is trying to be like everybody else, doing a duck face, peace sign, Instagram pictures and trying to get likes trying to get yeah. likes trying to trying to be the same as every is rather than uh than really trying to do something different and have a little bit of balls and, and say something but, but, but look you know i'm talking about the emancipation of uh men here um uh it used to be about the emancipation of women right and and Nobody loves a kick-ass chick more than me. Sure. I, I you know, I, I, Alien. All yeah, these I, love it. I, I think love it. Yeah. they were as relatable to me as they were for a woman, and that's why they work. Uh, um, uh, and the new Road Warrior movie, the Mad Max movie as well. Absolutely, you know, same thing. You know, almost, almost old-fashioned in that regard, because, it, yeah, again, Steel, very much like Alien, deals actually, you know, with the... And, and, and interestingly enough that you should bring this up, when I was thinking what would be a great vehicle for me, what is the first Hollywood movie that I want to make? And I wanted to do something original. I didn't want to make a remake. I didn't want to make a horror movie. And I came mm-hmm. across the comic strip Tank Girl. And I went mm-hmm. like, man, I want to make that movie. And what I envisioned was like a real tough, tough chick, uh, unapologetic, mercilessly R-rated, yeah. with a baseball bat and nailed through it. Can I tell you what? I almost like peed in my pants when I saw uh, a Hurricane, you know, uh, in this, you know, very much um, hated upon uh, uh, movie that just came out. And, yeah. and, 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 and I went like, you know, that was sort of the character, you know, that I envisioned for it. Funny enough, what I found out later, much later, is uh, that um, George Miller wanted to make um, a female Mad Max 
uh, already like a decade or two ago. And when they saw Tank Girl, they went like, well, I guess this was done now. You can't uh-huh. do that anymore now. So in a way, at least in my interpretation and in my perception, uh, he kind of fulfilled himself that desire in The Last Mad Max because whoever went in there to see Hardy be Mad Max <laughs> must have been extremely disappointed because the guy was a hood ornament at best, you know, for half of the movie. And from that moment on, <laughs> it was up. So it was actually like sort of a transitional kind of a thing. Uh, if he ever makes an, a follow-up, I guarantee you it's about her, not about him entirely. Interesting, interesting. Well, are you looking into, uh, are you still actively kind of looking into this idea that you just brought up? You know, I'm, I'm, the one thing that I wanted to be more than uh, a director was to retire early. <laughs> and then I think I reached that point. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I, uh, I look at some of my favorite filmmakers that should be working that are not working. Uh, one of them is Peter Weir. He said uh, not too long ago, nobody, nobody's interested in the kind of movies he wants to make anymore. And, you know, sort of like, took his head and yeah you know you go like it's an uphill battle you know yeah, to sure. to make that kind of a movie right now that is not at least you know not compromised and um uh, uh so 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 and and not only by the studios but you know probably also hated upon by um by uh um you know a whole new generation that goes like you know this is really not for us now there are other stories to tell and you know if one comes along that's fine but this is something in particular these coming of age movies as i understand them yeah. that in particular um interested me uh where i felt you know and and again you know it's it's tough to do them with compromise you know uh absolutely figures in that's movies. And you know what, though? And he brought up this generation of, like, offense, of everybody being offended, just like like the back of their hand on their forehead, and they're going to faint over, you know. But fuck them. There's going to be an audience, There's gonna, even within that generation. Even within that generation. And if you're talking about hanging it up, man, I hope that you fucking, I hope that you get one more out there that just says everything that you fucking want to do. And uh, it may be surprising. I really believe that... I really believe that when things are made uncompromisingly, whenever that does happen, the audience obviously is smaller, but they're but they're intense, you know. Well, you know, it's it's uh, um, it's interesting. I just read articles on on uh, um, you know what's this Harlequin movie where she's in? With, uh, um, what's it called? Um, Which one again? Uh, uh, with Harlequin in it. Um, oh, uh, as uh, uh, Suicide Squad. Just that's God. I'm sorry, it was yeah. on my tongue. Um, I read all these articles that were that were comparing the. They were saying the reason why it um, got so much hate. And again, I haven't seen this movie yet. Is that there's apparently like a war between the Marvel and the DC universe. Right, right One is right, decisively right. darker and anarchic, while the other one is more valent. And uh, and I think that's how I also look at the westerns. You know, when you ask me about westerns, a lot of them are very valent. You know, and some others are very anarchic. I happen to like the anarchic ones. I always like the great that corrupts the genre. You know, I, I you know I, I I will be probably remembered as somebody who started a remake craze. Uh, really, what I like much more is corrupting the genre. You know, and right. and and. Um, you know, uh, even though I wouldn't be interested in doing a Western per se, I'd be interested in corrupting it, you know. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't cool. want to do a superhero movie, but I would love to corrupt it. And whenever I see those efforts, they usually don't find great love, you know, amongst the bloggers. Which sure, the you got to expect that. Yeah, the, the, the amongst the audiences, amongst the studios, you know. Yeah. Well, you got to expect that, so I guess... Uh if you're really going to do it, it needs to be sort of your intended swan song, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like I'm looking for sympathy. Jesus Christ, not at all. If anything, no, like, no. I mean, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy that I can afford to do this. You know, this industry has been tremendously great to me, but um, you know, uh, I'm just getting. I'm just getting too old to try to push the envelope. It's hard enough to do them, you know, but right. to 
but to push it to where you want it to be. I mean, Conan was a real disheartening experience for me because I had very specific ideas, you know, if I wanted to do it, but um, and, and, which I actually felt was actually very true to the character. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, when you make a movie, you have to make it, you have to essentially sculpt something of uh, a block uh, uh, that is um, that is the amalgamation of all the rights holders, uh, the fans. Anybody ever read the comic book or played the video game or watched the Milius movie? You know, you have to find it in that block, you know, and then chisel out your movie. Um, uh, it's not like you go in there like an auteur. You know? Right. And a lot of people chip away at it. It's not just you, right? Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and so to make them is a much more political process, you know. And I think that's, you know, with the whole um, animal bites its own tail, with the dog bites its own tail, because it is that political process that we have to fit in to exist right now that changes, you know, uh, our perception of the role model that we can identify with has to be a political animal, too. It's not just like, you know, the guy who says, fuck it all, you know, let's do some damage. <laughs> sure, <You know>? sure. <laughs> no, that's sure enough. Sure, sure enough. You like Peckinpah, uh, huh? Sure. What's your favorite Peckinpah movie? Um, that's a tough one. Well, you like I'm Westerns, go... probably The Dirty Dozen, right? Or uh, The Wild Bunch, you mean? Well, I, I'm sorry, what I mean, The Wild Bunch. The Wild Bunch? I think, um, I'm not sure if that's it. I mean, it's... Uh, I might, uh, yeah, I probably would have to go with that ultimately. I think you never guess my favorite. You will never guess my favorite Peck and Paul movie. I'm gonna go with um, Osterman Weekend. <laughs> no, uh, 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 that would be the most. If, if you believe it or not, it's Convoy. <laughs> oh, cool! I think you did it with uh, Christopher. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 um, I have a big thing for Ali McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> I should have guessed that when we were talking about all those badass, like seventies, like trucker, country, like whatever Southern guy. Kurt <laughs> uh, <laughs> Reynolds. Um, but uh, 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 no, I'm talking half and jest. But uh, but I liked it a lot. Uh, um, uh, um, to me, that's a good western. Yeah. Well, I guess you could probably argue that. A lot of his, shit. I mean, you know, maybe Straw Dogs actually might be my favorite. Now that you bring everything up. Well, it's it's it's, yeah. it's Easy Rider on a truck, right? Easy uh, Rider the same way, in, in the same way that um, Vanishing Point, another favorite of mine, is Easy Rider yeah. and a muscle car. Love it. But you know, Love it. Like like everything we're talking about is not new. Um, you know, think about the guys that did John Wayne westerns when um, uh, um, you know the counterculture. You know, started to kick in, right, and from sure. one day to the other, were uh, um, scratching their heads about like what's going on here. You know, like what do they want? And um, actually, um, because of that, I mean, a lot of these filmmakers that essentially try to make statements, uh, uh, like Borman in Deliverance, which is a statement on the Vietnam War, uh, and Straw Dogs, you know, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. Um, they very much deal with that in a very macho way. It's like, you want to hear my statement about the Vietnam War? I give it to you. It's straw, it's, it's straw dogs, right? And it's very interesting. Who's a villain Who's a villain in straw dogs? You mean the, uh, the bad English guy? Who's a villain? Are you talking about... Are well, you every movie has a villain, himself? right? Well, interestingly enough, it's Dustin Hoffman. At the end, he's, at the end that becomes clear when he's in the car. Well, it's throughout, because Dustin Hoffman stands for the bleeding heart liberal that gets involved with a conflict that is not his. He's all American with a Marilyn Monroe blue, uh, blonde wife with this cool car, you know, coming there and knowing everything better and fucking everything up even worse. He's a problem, not the locals, right? That's an early statement on government building, if it's Vietnam or now what right. we're facing in the Middle East. The That's American the problem. The, shop. the yeah. American liberal. Interesting, yeah. right? That was his statement, you know, to uh, deal with this generation and the Vietnam War. And very much in the same way, uh, Deliverance has um, a bunch of characters that are probably city guys that go on this kayak tour and uh, shit happens and it goes bang. 
and uh, you know they take revenge. But you know what? The bang, if you look at this, uh, if you really look carefully at it, uh, it's not clear if there was somebody shooting. That that could have been one of those kayaks hitting a rock. Right. You know that. It's actually one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So it deals with an escalation, and it puts like a common guy in there, and in that escalation, they go through this rite of passage. Right, and the the common guy was arguably a pussy. I mean, you're talking about John Voight's character. I mean, probably. He he was very soft. He was very, the city guy was very soft and very weak, and he had to find uh, this primal truth within him that came out and it was violence so I think that's where movies are interesting because they throw us into a situation um, that we are not likely or hopefully not likely to experience ourselves and to ask ourselves the question you know what you know what um, you know how we how we how are we going to deal with this you know I don't know why I'm thinking of this but it's a really odd thing um, I once was prepping for a movie about uh, SWAT teams, and um, you know I got to meet the real guys, and 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 I have to think about it right now because you know we talk about you know a lot about police violence right now and what should police be entitled to do uh, mm-hmm. in their in their efforts and what is frowned upon. And I'm actually cutting them a lot of slack because you know you go like, man, if you're in the in a line of fire, if you are in 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 in, uh, in in a situation, who am I to judge? Right, how things escalate. You know, um, if that's war or you know fighting something in an inner city. And um, while I was preparing for it, I I, I was dealing with the um, you know with, with, with some of these uh, leaders of these SWAT programs, and I and I went to that police academy, that SWAT academy, where they actually shot the opening title for Charlie's Angels. I remember that. All right. so, so I'm talking to them, and I said, <clears throat> "What is you know SWAT means special weapons and arms techniques and arm techniques?" And I go like, "What's an example of what it is that you're doing? And and where's your workshop? And can I see that? Maybe that's something for the movie." And they said, well, there's not much to it. And they took me down to the basement, and there was a Black & Decker workmate. <laughs> that was it. I thought it was something like in a in a Bond movie, like Q, that has yeah. like all these like, <laughs> fancy things. <laughs> there was nothing, you know. It was like very, very basic. And um, But they said um, they did invent some pretty amazing stuff. They, 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 for example, invented a thing called syncopated rifles. You know what that is? It's um, when, let's say, somebody is... Um, Hijacking an airplane, and they're on a tarmac, and mm-hmm. they are. And we have that scene in the movie, and and um, you know they bring in their snipers, and the snipers have different vantage points, and they know they have to take the guy out cold, so he doesn't have the chance to pull the trigger and shoot the captain and the right. cockpit. Right now, they have to calculate the curvature of the glass. And, you know, there's so many ways of how the wow. bullet doesn't hit where it needs to fit, which is a little triangle between the vermilion line, which is from your nostril down to your to the edge of your mouth and back up on the cheekbone. It's a little triangle uh, uh, on your cheek that you have to hit in order to make sure the guy just cannot respond. And if one of the five snipers doesn't hit that right away, the other stray bullets will alert, you know, the shooter, and you will and, and you will kill. So in any case, the syncopated rifle means um, the SWAT commander says fire uh, over their headphones. The first guy pulls, the second guy, and, you know, everybody's a little bit off. It doesn't fire until they all pull the trigger. Then it all fires at once. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so, crazy. You know, they do quite crafty things on the workmates. But, um, you know, they put me into a, um, into a uh, room, and they say, here's where we train our rookie officers. And the whole movie theater is full with rookie officers, and they all have these guns that are connected, you know, with the wire, and they're watching what happens on the screen. And uh, essentially, they know they're being tested. When are you going to pull the trigger, right? And there's a situation where you very much have to, and there's some others where you better don't. Uh-huh. So in the movie that we're watching now, I mean, you're sitting in a movie theater with a gun, essentially. And what you're seeing is a guy walking towards a camera, 
and you hear yourself talk, you know, uh, and, you know, the recording goes, uh, stop right there, uh, identify yourself, the guy keeps on walking, I told you to stop, stop or I will have to shoot, and mm-hmm. the guy keeps on walking, the railroad tracks in between, so he starts walking over the railroad tracks, now he's reaching for his, you know, waist pocket, so I'm pulling my trigger now, right? Then he pulls out of his waist pocket, he's almost in front of you, and it's his wallet, and he opens it, and there's an identification card, and says, I'm deaf and mute, I can't understand you. And I went like, wow, you know, every time that we talk about cop violence, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that is clearly executions, but, you know, I always thought about these gray zones, and I think movies sort of like lay that out. I think people are less and less interested in gray zones, they're interested in black and white, right and wrong, right? They want that kind of clarity, but... um you know, yeah. real life doesn't have kind of clarity. And I think no. the movies we like from the 70s, they dealt with those gray zones. Uh, completely, completely, yeah. And I'm still attracted to that. Well, shit, we are actually getting near and near here, so I think we should wrap it up for now. But, um, dude, I fucking loved this conversation. <laughs> that was fun. And, uh, it was so fun. And, uh, and I really fucking hope that you... Uh, that you do one of these things that you were talking about doing. And um, would you be down to maybe do another one sometime in the future? Yeah, I have to find something smart to say. But there's something <laughs> that, has, that has been on my mind, you know. I've been watching this, and, you know, sometimes you, you look at the stuff you're doing and that you're interested in, and you say, well, you know what, times are changing. Am I going to modify it, or am I going to stick with it? And I think Milius wrestled with that a great deal in his career, um, now he's an historian. He found many other things that he got interested in. I'm sure I will find that too. Uh, you know, he did Rome and you know, right. you know these other uh, other incarnation. After you know, he felt that he fell into disgrace with Black Dawn, with, with Red Dawn. But um, I think um, you know, and these conversations help to say like, why why am I doing what I'm doing? Where am I going with this? And uh, who's watching? I think every filmmaker needs to do that. So thanks. Save me the shrink. <laughs> no, I'm glad you said that, man. I'm glad you said that. And uh, that's fucking great, man. Thank you so much. Terrific. For this, My man. pleasure. Have fun. And um, we'll be in touch again soon. Thanks. So long. Okay. Bye. So that was Marcus and Spell, you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Everything that we talked about, or most everything, I try to, uh, like I normally do, I try to put up references on the blog at triumphanddisasterblog.com. So if we talked about movies that you haven't seen and wanted to check out, I usually post like a trailer or something like that. And you can, you can check it out from there and uh, a bunch of links. I really love this talk. I really, really loved it. And I hope that uh, maybe we can do another part two at some point and keep in touch with me, you guys, if you want to, if you want to let me know what your thoughts are on that or anything else, you can email me at triumphanddisasterblog at gmail.com triumphanddisasterblog at gmail.com. You can do that. And I'm also everywhere. Right? There's a Triumph and Disaster blog. There's an Instagram. There's a Twitter. There's a Facebook page. It's everything. It's all over the place. So follow me and make sure to uh, subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss anything. And like I say, usually at the end of every show, if you could just leave a rating and review on iTunes, it really helps us out. It really helps uh, Apple to promote the show. And if you like it and you want to keep it going, there is a PayPal button on the blog. Feel free to use it. Really appreciate it, you guys. We'll see you next week. Triumph and Disaster. Bye. <laughs>